Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey guys, it's me, Bonnie Somerville. Welcome back to Second Act. I hope everyone's doing great managing this crazy time we're living in, but the end is near. Vaccines are coming. I feel it. I hope everyone's happy and healthy out there, and thank you for joining me and sticking with the podcast. And please don't forget, download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave me that good review. Like I said, any review, bad, whatever, just say something, preferably nice, so that I can keep doing this. And follow me on Instagram. Uh, the podcast is second underscore act underscore podcast. And I am Bonds with a Z, Somerville at Instagram. And don't forget to send me questions and messages. I'm collecting them. I've only gotten a few. Come on. I'm giving you like carte blanche. You guys can ask me whatever you want. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty ballsy. I'll probably answer them. Um, but I want to have uh, a segment where I answer questions. So please do that. And I'm very excited about my next guest. This is a very successful writer, director, producer, um, man who does it all. He's an artist. He can, he's just pretty amazing. He's one of the most creative people I've ever known. And he was responsible, along with Darren Starr, of giving me my very first pilot that went to series called Gross Point, which was on the WB 20 years ago, where I met Lindsay Sloan, who you guys heard me talk to, who's one of my favorite people on the planet. And his name is Andy Fleming. Andy Fleming. He is, uh, he's directed a multitude of great movies like Dick, The Craft, Threesome, The In-Laws, tons of television shows. And he was just nominated for a Golden Globe for Emily in Paris, which you can watch on Netflix. So please enjoy this interview with my longtime friend, Andy Fleming. very excited. I have a very especially a special guest, an esteemed writer, director, producer, jack of all trades, cowboy, you name it. He does it all. He also gave me my very first break in my very first show that was, I'm still not over the cancellation of, none of us are, called Gross Point, which was on the WWWB, you kids, before there was CW. Andy Fleming, hi. Hi, Bonnie. Um, remember Gross Point? That was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. I think we just realized that it was um, over. I'd like to stop at 20, but it was over 20. And I had Lindsay on a few podcasts ago. I heard. I listened to every word. It was, it was the, she's, well, she's the best. But um, it is true that I still go on auditions and casting directors still say, Oh, gross point. That was my favorite show. Oh my God. And we still held on to this idea that there would be like some sort of a reboot, but no, alas. Yeah, I know. I go to meetings and start talking about things. And if I mention gross point and it's a female executive, especially they go, that was my favorite show. That show changed my life. I love that show. That show was ahead of its time. Everybody of a certain age remembers that show. And it um, was ahead of its time. For you guys who was. don't know it, you could get it on Amazon. Dave actually 
watched a bunch and thought it was hysterical. It was an inside look at a spoof of 90210. So it was like kind of an inside show, but there hadn't been any of those shows yet. And it was adults content. And they put us on after Sabrina, the teenage witch on Fridays. Like, I mean, it was, yeah, it was a bad time slot and it wasn't on the right network. And it should have been on HBO. Yeah. So that you could have sworn a, a blue streak. But talk and- about second act. My, my fav- famous story that I can re- retell because this was the man responsible whenever people ask me. And I have talked about it with the, the person herself. Amy Adams was fired from Gross Point. I replaced her. That was my big break. And I've spent since met Amy many times because we have a mutual friend. And um, I always want to say, I wish I had your fucking career instead. So <laughs> no, thanks, but- Andy, for giving me that break. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. But I, so this whole show is about like second act and starting over. And now that I have the actual director and on the phone, uh, I mean, on my podcast, like, people always ask me like, but why, but how, but she's so amazing. And I always tell them like, sometimes that has nothing to do with it. Like sometimes it's just not the right fit. So like, what was it? Yeah. What was different about her us? It was, well, the the, the thing is, is it was a surprise to me and to Darren, the the network made the decision to fire her after the table read, which was on a Friday before the Monday when we were shooting. So it was very last minute. You came in on a Saturday, I think to audition. I came in on a Saturday and I tell this story to young actors that I work with or I mentor that I never forget that because I was 24 years old. It was my first pilot. I was absolutely sick to my stomach, nervous. My managers were like, listen, you might be able to get this, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you were, I was in the room with you and Darren and um, who else? Uh, Was it Robin? There was only three of you. And you worked with me to the point where it was like, I always thought it was going to be like that. I always thought directors were going to be like, work with you, work with you, work with you. Um, do you remember that? You were like, and then you said to me, you pulled me aside outside and you were like, listen, I want you to get this job. I know what they want. Trust me. Do you remember saying that? Sounds like me. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a crazy thing auditioning for a pilot. And I really, I try to be honest with the actors and give them the information that will help them. Because mm-hmm. um, I want them all to be as good as possible. But yeah, I do remember when when um, we, when you came in that we were like, she's really good. Let's get her to read well. She, you know what I mean? It was like it wasn't like you had the part, but we wanted you all to be good and get the part. You know. But I was so over. green. I'd, I'd only done one movie and a, a, a three lines on Two Guys a Girl in a Pizza Place and two lines on Nine Hundred Two One Zero, and I was a nervous wreck. But I just remember you kept saying, no, no, do it this, like in a, in a great way. And it was like, I got more comfortable, more comfortable, more comfortable. I, we worked it, we worked it, we worked it. And then my manager called me and she said, you need to go to the hair salon tomorrow at 4 a.m. Uh, uh, on Monday because your call time is 6 a.m. And you need to go at 4 a.m. Oh no, I think it was 3.45 and get your hair dyed. So <laughs> I, I went and got my hair dyed, showed up on set. I was, it was like the best day of my life, but I was so petrified because the cast all knew each other you were so you were so put together you 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 were you were always like you're hitting your mark and saying your lines and (laughs) nailing it it was so no and and the whole all of the cast were quite young um but you were you were spot on um when like for people listening because you're you know you do you're they asked me about how it's been for me to get fired and what it's like and it's like that's a perfect example of 
she, when I met Amy later on at a party, because we have a mutual friend, she said she got dropped by about three agents. She got fired from about three pilots. She was at a point in her life where she thought, this isn't happening for me. Mm-hmm. And then she got Junebug. And then she got an Oscar nom. Yeah. That was it. No, and if she had been on Gross Point, she wouldn't have been in Junebug. She wouldn't have got an Oscar nom. Yeah, thanks a lot. No, but I'm just saying, (laughs) the universe is complicated. You know, there were, I trace back to like decisions that I've made. I I made this very flip decision to go to NYU. I was, I was, I was going to go to all these other schools and, uh, and then in the last minute I applied to NYU, but it changed my whole life. And I, I don't even, it was an impulse to go there. Where Um, did you grow up? In LA. Oh, okay. That's right. You grew up in LA. And like what, so did you always want to do film? Did you always want to direct and act and write or what? Does that No, I, do, I really didn't. I wanted to be an architect when I was young. My father was an agent when I was young, a, a movie agent, well, TV agent, and he represented directors, actually. So oh. I kind of grew up around it. And my mother was a, a food stylist. She did commercials and she would do television shows where people were cooking. And so, and I went to a school where like, you know, my best friend's, dad was on Adam 12. I mean, we didn't have a lot of money, but it was just like normal. If you lived in the Valley, people were in the TV business. It's just, it's just normal. But um, so I didn't have any kind of razzle dazzle alert to me, but I knew I wanted to do something creative. And um, I kept kind of eliminating things. And then I realized in the end, like, because I do like writing and I like design and I like, uh, I, I was I was studying art, I like painting, and if you, you like direct, you have a you have an amazing eye for uh, design. But if you if you're directing, you get to do all of those things. You get oh, to be right. an architect. You get to be a playwright. You get to be you know. That's so true. I never thought of it like that. A director gets to be an architect and help with the sets. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. So it, it's good. It's um. So what I, so what happened? You just last minute said why don't I just try for NYU? Like, had you even been to in New York? I'd been to New York once, uh, but I had family in Brooklyn and um, in Bay Ridge. Place. Oh, my favorite place. It's where I went to high from, school. It is. Because you're from Brook, Brooklyn, but not Bay Ridge. You're from... No, I'm from Flatbush, but I went to Poly Prep in Bay Ridge. But um, I... I, I realized I was going to maybe go to USC. I got into USC. I got into all these schools because I was a pretty good student. Um, so I had a lot of options. And then I hadn't even applied to NYU. And NYU wasn't a big, fancy school at that point. It, it wasn't a school everybody was clamoring to go to. Was it? it was, did you go to the Art Tisch? Or did you yeah, just to Tisch. Okay. And I, a friend, I mean, not even a friend, just somebody that I knew in high school, he said, I'm going to NYU. And I, was, I said, that's fun. I think I want to go there. <laughs> I want to live in Manhattan and go to school. So I applied late and got in and it was, everybody was, was trying to talk me out of it because there were, I don't know, more. Well, it's across the academic country. schools. It's, huh? it's across the country. So it's got to be for any parent a little bit daunting. I mean, it's literally. No, and I realized that was, I wanted to get away from my parents and my family. And I wanted to sort of jettison my personality in high school and, create a new persona in the village in the 80s it was great was, it was that actually your great. first set that was your first can we call that your first act <laughs> it was the first well yeah there are a lot of second acts but yeah that was that was i got my my senior year in high school i had had braces for four years and i had just the worst hair but i got my braces off <laughs> and i got a good haircut <laughs> and then i left all of my clothes from high school and i went to and 
NYU and like went to Canal Jean and bought some vintage, you know, shirts. You know and I was like, this is me now. This is me. Same. That's what I did. So that was your first act. Let's say you move, you change your whole persona like me, get away from everybody, the family, start over. I even changed my name. I was like, I'm not Bonnie Jean. I'm not BJ. I'm Bonnie. Like I like was like new persona, totally Ooh. new Bonnie. So you go to NYU and you're like, what happens? You love it. Um, I freaked out because the city was so claustrophobic when I got there. But after two weeks, I got over it. I really thought, I can't live here. I'm used to hillsides and trees and space. space. And I was living in this tiny little dorm room with cinder block walls that faced a brick wall. You know, it was really uh, close quarters with uh, this roommate. The guy who, from my high school, we ended up being roommates. Oh, that's good, though. Crazily enough. But, um, yeah, no, I, and I did well there. But I, I, I sort of settled in, and I did well. And I became a sort of maniac about wanting to make as many movies as possible and be the best. Because I've made movies since I was a little kid, just as for, for fun, little Super 8 movies. And I'd done a 30-minute movie in high school. I went to the school where if you finished all of your academic requirements, you could do a senior project and just make something. So I'd made this movie and I'd been on- A little movie, was it Star Wars? No, it was just this (laughs) terrible little black and, it was like a black and white period piece. (laughs) A black and white period piece. Yes, no, but it was set in the valley in the fifties and the valley still looked like the fifties then, so it wasn't that. It still does now. Elaborate, yeah. Um, but, uh, But I became a maniac at NYU about wanting to do this thing and I made a, a lot of films and I was very aggressive, a very tight. Did you write a. them I, all too? You wrote all the you Yeah, wrote them all and directed them and mm-hmm. and like won a couple of awards and one film which was I'd actually studied animation at first. It was a mixture of animation and live action. And um, it was only about four minutes long, but it would it turned out really, really, really well. And it won a lot of awards and it played at the Museum of Modern Art and this company asked to distribute it and it played on HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, remember when HBO was young? Well, you're probably too young. They would play films. Bless, bless you. Little short films. Yeah. Remember when brand. Cinemax was porn? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not that young. Um, so you got on HBO, your film got on HBO. And yeah, you're in but I got an agent while I was still in school and I was just like manic, manic, manic. And then I, some friends and I started writing a feature script. We just outlined it. And then we graduated and then I wrote it and I had gotten an agent from this short film and I gave it to him and he gave it to a producer. This is like a year after I graduated. I wrote, I wrote a draft of it myself. And um, I had this one meeting with this woman, Gail Ann Hurd, who had just produced Aliens and before that Terminator. It was literally <laughs> my first meeting out of school. Okay, this doesn't happen, guys. No, I know. It's, it's, crazy. it's crazy. This doesn't happen to everybody. My, my mother drove me to the meeting. I was at 20th Century Fox. And she said, I'll be right here, dear. Like she knitted. Like she literally uh, had, you know, a sandwich while I'm in with this meeting. And, um, and what was the script called? It was called Bad Dreams. It was a horror movie about like a hippie cult that sort of did a mass suicide. And then one person's, one girl survives and she's sort of Rip Van Winkle and she wakes up in the eighties and she's all out of place. It was crazy and very violent. And, 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 you know, I, I don't know, but anyway, it, she said, yes, they optioned it. And then a year later I was directing, I was 24 years old 
and I was directing a movie at Fox. No, but, but I'm only telling you this, it sounds crazy and like, how dare you be so successful so soon? But I made the movie. It turned out okay. It was not a critical hit, but it made a little bit of money. Um, but Hollywood just didn't care. And, um, and then there was a writer's strike. And then I realized that I really hadn't made that much money doing it because they just paid me scale. Uh-huh. And I like the everything just nosedived and I got very depressed and I didn't work for years, like three years. I didn't do anything. I kind of slept on my sister's couch. I ran out of money. Um, and I thought well, I've directed a movie. I thought everything would be golden and it just, everything just kind of fell apart. Uh, that's, that's exactly. I love that you just told that story. Cause that's partly how, why I started this podcast I'm, in the intro is, everything was going great right up until the moment it wasn't. And my entire life, just everything just at once bottomed out. And for me from 24, from when I got gross point, it was, there was a period of time where I couldn't, I couldn't not get a job or a development deal. I literally would do absolutely nothing, just be myself and get a sitcom and, you know, and just my personality, but it wasn't acting to me. It was just me being me and saying lines. And then all of a sudden I got this, you know, code black medical drama. I got let go my relationship. I mean, it was the same. And for about two or three years, I lit, I just hit such a depression so late. Cause I was so ridiculous. Yeah. Like I was the girl that everyone was like, Oh, Bonnie, she always works. Yeah. So you're on your I, sister's couch and that's, so that's another act right there. And then my brother's couch, you know, and then, um, then I just started writing with a friend just stuff that would amuse us, came up with ideas and bounced things around, tried to pitch things and slowly kind of put it back together. Were you still and depressed at this time, you think? Was this still- I was, I, I was kind of snapping out of it. It was more just a shock because mm-hmm. I know I just had a lot of friends and I'd made all these friends on the movie. And then when the movie was over, everybody went away because it, oh, yeah. it felt like this family and it felt like such abandonment. Everybody should over. know that listens to this, that we, you hear this, but all of us in the film and TV industry, we become, it's so, it's so cliche, but you become a family. Yeah. You think you're best friends for life. You're together 16 hours a day. And I've had so many experiences where people have just ghosted and disappeared. And I've been heartbroken thinking like, but we're going to work together forever though. Like you're going to hire me for, like we're going to be best friends. And and then it's hard. I've had, I don't know if you've had, I've had drops after jobs end, like depression, you know, drops. Yeah, for sure. But I, I realized, oh, this is, there's probably no way around it because it's such a high to make a movie, especially for the director, because it's like, boom, 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 boom. You have to make decisions, decisions. And then when it's over, the house is very quiet. And I thought, you know what? It's going to always be like this. It's always going to be like full on, full on, full on, and then nothing. And then but when you're not working, all of a sudden, nobody calls anymore. Nobody yes. calls you anywhere. It's like you, you lost all your friends. But I, I was lucky because I was a director, but I was also a writer. I'd written that script to begin with. So I could say, well, I'll just go write something else. So I tried writing things and nothing really kind of coalesced. I, I optioned one script with a friend. We sold a, a just an idea and we're working on that. But I, I started taking, a friend of mine was in an acting class and I thought, you know, I would like, it would be good to have some kind of structure. I never really learned how to talk to actors so I, I went to this acting class. They were teaching the Meisner technique. This That's woman, what I jo- did. Joanne Barron. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And um, I was just, I audited one class and they said, this is stupid. I should just do it. It's silly for me to just watch. So I did it. Not thinking I would be an actor, but, and I got kind of, 
I got into it and kind of stopped working. So I did that for two years. I didn't actually write. I was just going to class because it was very time consuming. It was three days a week plus rehearsals. And how were you living financially at the time? Um, I had optioned this one script and I got, I got this big fat residuals check at one point. <laughs> Listen, that, that's the only reason why I'm still surviving. No, it, it was shocking to me. I was sleeping on my sister's couch and I got a residuals check for, I'll just say it, for $35,000. What? Yes. And I was like, I can live off of this well, back for in like those two days, years. Yeah, they were yeah. bigger checks back then. And I remember my, yeah, my Garden State soundtrack that I had the song on, that that residual check, because that did so well. I mean, I, I, I like lived for a year. I mean, yeah, same yeah. thing. It was like, I was broke. Yeah. <laughs> I was broke sleeping on my sister's couch and I got this check. And so I got an apartment and I just started going to this class full time. But something happened in this in this class. We do these exercises and you do presets and set up a, a, a relationship. So it was this relationship where this woman in this class, she was always flirting with me and she knew I was gay, but she, she likes to flirt with me. So we, we all do. We all do, Andy. <laughs> it embarrasses me. I know, but, we, but if I say this now, look, you can't see him, but he'll, he's blushing and he'll just change his, he'll no, just change his subject immediately. People love embarrassing me like that. But <laughs> it's a thing. But anyway, she more than anybody else. So we did this exercise and I, it was about a woman who was like really crushing on a guy, but he's gay and they, you know, she knows, but she, she can't stop herself. And I was like, I remember this relationship because this is sort of like something that happened in, in college. Uh, this is a very complicated relationship with a, a woman. And I, I, and it just exploded. And I had this idea to write the script, which became threesome about three people in college. That's what I was going to say. That was my, first, little, that was my I, first knowing of you before I knew you was the movie threesome. I, and I wrote it in like a week and it was this, this fever pitch. And I wanted to write the script that you could read really easily. That didn't have a lot of description. That was just like line, 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 one description, line, line, line. So, the, so it was like, you could, it became like crack. Like what's going to happen? Are they all going to sleep together? And you know, who's in love with who? And you know, uh, and I wanted to be small. And how did you write that in a week? Like if, if, if you were just going to tell a young writer, like what was your process? Was it just that you were just on just such a high? I went into like a, 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 fe a fever dream. And I, I actually found the document that I wrote. I wrote this like uh, five page document that was just like, this, this, is, this is happening, then this is happening, then this is happening, then this is happening. And then I just turned it around and wrote it. I think I wrote the script in, in like 48 hours. Babe, are you paying attention? Because we're working on writing a, a pilot and Dave wants to write it. And I see he's, he just, he's very quiet. His eyes are open. He's listening to every word. So, um, so you did it the unconventional way. Cause that's also one of the reasons I love about you is you don't follow all the, the stupid Hollywood rules, like how to write a script and how to be this, how to be this. You're very, very much your own person. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I take a screenwriting class at NYU and I, the, the guy was very nice, but I, I felt like I knew more about screenwriting than he did. I was, I was a horrible student at NYU. I, the, the teachers all resented me, except a few who, who took me under their wing. But, um, but I like that you wrote it like that. It's almost like a play. It's almost like you wrote yeah. like line, 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 line. And I've not done that since then. I've written other things and have really elaborate description. And it's, you, you know, I, I, every script gets written in a different way. Um, there's no, I, and I how don't. How did you cast that? You, Cause it was Laura Flynn Boyle. Well, the thing is, is that people read it and people were like, did you read this? And it kind of 
became a thing mm -hmm. because it was so, it was very kinky. And also the lead character was gay. There was no movie like that in, in 1993, yeah. which is about what it was. There were just no movies about gay people, except, you know, sad AIDS, little indie movies like that. <laughs> and this was, this was not, this was kind of post AIDS. It was, it was pro, it was it pro was very kinky. It was, if you oh, exactly. it was kinky. It, go it watch was, it. It was very foul mouthed. And, um, and it was very autobiographical. I mean, there was a there are scenes in that movie that are just lifted from from reality. So people saw that. But anyway, it got made, and then it went to Sundance, and it just it turned everything around. That's and that's that's what I was going to ask you because I remember Threesome just as a viewer, and then I remember you talking about it with Lindsay and I when we worked together. And that movie, when it went to the festivals in Sundance, was that like a big? That was it. Like it, everything just went boom. Yeah, but it was also I. I I had to kind of come out to do it. I mean, I didn't really come out. I, I just sent that script out and people just assumed I was gay because it's the character was like me. And that, that, that kind of telling that secret and telling those stories was like, oh, I have to use myself. It was the first time I'd written something where I was using myself rather than creating something or filching ideas from other people. I just said, this is going to be totally something that I know has happened or stories that have happened to me or that I know have happened to other people. And th that's, I've realized that's what you have to do. You have to use your life. Is that what they life. say, write what you know? Is that? Yeah, but it's, use your life, you know, you tell the, tell the truth. Um, How does that you know, work when you're, I mean, I'm jumping ahead because now you're, we, we'll go back because you've done so much directing and television. Do you use that? Do you use that when you're directing something like that's completely like Emily in Paris, which by the way, congratulations, Golden Globe nomination. Thank you. Thank you. You're so um, fancy and you're doing my little podcast, but does that work in anything you do? You just yeah. find a way to make it yourself? For example, the, the next thing I did after Threesome was the craft. And at first I was just going to rewrite it. I was going to do a draft and not direct it. But I took these four characters, about four girls who, who are dabbling in witchcraft. Oh, and, oh yes, I've watched, I've seen about 20. <laughs> um, and I... I decided to personalize them. Like I decided to take something from my high school experience where I witnessed like really horrible bigotry uh, and bring that into one story. I remember there was a girl at NYU and she had burn scars all over her body. So she wore a lot of clothes, but you never saw them. And I thought that was, that was, was more disturbing to not see what it was. Mm. And I brought that in. And the, the suicidal thing was, I suppose, pulling from my, depression and so i just kept pulling things from my life into it like tried to personalize the movie even though it's about four girls it was easy for me to as a gay man kind of put myself yeah in headspace in a, a marginalized you know yeah being marginalized being mar marginalized way of life as a gay man yeah as women it's that's i think also i always say women and gay why we love our gays you know our men so much you know it's just like but the idea of yeah, of, of the other. And but, so it, it was that, a matter of personalizing. And I, I. Uh, That's interesting. And can you do that now? Like if you're directing this huge, glamorous, beautiful par show in Paris, do you still personalize it? Totally. Because, you know, I didn't write Emily in Paris, but I, I was there while Darren was developing it. And I, I he certainly bounced ideas off of me. But, um, but I'm Emily in Paris. I mean, literally, 
the the show is very pretty. It's the the, the prettiest, it's stunning card version of the of Paris. And most Parisian television shows and movies that are contemporary show a kind of grittier version where you see graffiti and you see the garbage on the streets and you see uh, nefarious activities. And but for us as Americans, for me, when I go to Paris, I don't see that. I don't like, I don't want to look at the graffiti. Look at that beautiful yeah. view there. Look at that cute little cafe. Like that's that bridge. all. Yeah. So um, for sure. And, you know, every encounter she had with a, a, a brusque Parisian is something that I've lived through. I mean, I, I, I've been to Paris so many times before we did the show and it's always given me a sense of anxiety, even though I think it's beautiful. I'm always feel like, I, I feel like an outsider here. Thank you. Um, and I thought it would be great to go there and kind of get past that and sort of ease into it. And and I, and I think that's going to be Emily's arc is that she's she feels so much like an outsider, but that eventually she's going to she's going to learn a little bit of the language and she's going to know the streets and where to turn and where to go and you know what I mean. She's going that to is, become that is funny. That's like amazing. a metaphor. I feel like that that sounds so similar to I still feel like an outsider still after doing this for so long, sometimes, you know what I mean? Like just uncomfortable, you know, in certain yeah. situations. And I'm still the girl from Brooklyn. I'm still the girl that doesn't belong here. I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still the girl that didn't do the normal thing and get married and have kids and is kind of loud and inappropriate. I, I, and it's, it, that's like so similar to that feeling of fish out of water. And people are like, how are you ever an insecure? Like and yeah. you just hide it. No, I am too. I and I was I did not have the personality to be a director. I was felt like I'm the the weirdest person. Why <laughs> I'm not that guy. I'm not the hey, I'm the take charge guy. And I have had to create that yeah. personality. I've had to put but it. You also working with you. I love I, I love that you said you took an acting class because you're one of those directors that I've worked with that you you are so it's funny that you say you didn't know how to talk to actors. You're the best with the actors. Like you are no, so well, that class helped. Um but before that, when I had just gone to film school and I had acted a little as a kid and I was into kind of theater things and acted in other students' films. So it wasn't foreign to me, but I felt like I didn't have a language. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know how it's working. Like actors just come in and do it well and it's magic. And I was like, how do you do that? It was nice to have this technique and go like, oh, if you, if you do this work, you'll, you'll be this good. You may not be brilliant, but- Yes, preparation. And even if you're talented, you have to prepare. You know? Yeah. And you have to stay that way too. Cause I think part of why I kind of took a nosedive is getting getting a little lazy, getting a little bitter that I didn't get the jobs I thought I would have and comparing myself to other people. I stopped yeah. doing all that preparation, all that excitement, all that gratitude, and it affected my career. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you say like that I that I'm not having the career other people have. I, I, I decided on my first movie, it was produced by Gail Hurt, and she was married to Jim Cameron at the time. And he was around a lot and he was very nice to me. He was one of the few people that actually acted as kind of a mentor to me because it doesn't happen very often, that kind of thing in, in Hollywood. Um, but I, I kept comparing myself to him. <laughs> and I was like, and it was which is so stupid because he was kind of the hottest director in Hollywood at that point. And I just said, I'm not Jim Cameron. I'm not Jim Cameron. I can't do what he does. I'm not going to do what he does. I'm going to do me. And it was like, I had to stop comparing myself to 
other people. I'm still trying to learn that. I'm I'm still I'm better. I'm better. But you know, actresses, we have a different there's a whole different ball game when as far as especially getting older, being but a woman. I, blah, 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 blah. I think it's true. Well, you look like a 12 year old. That's, oh, thank that's you. I'm like dripping in wow. afterbirth right now. Um uh what was I gonna say? <laughs> the, the thing is, oh, just about why somebody gets apart. It's 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 I mean the people who are not good don't get the first callback. But if you're in that group of people who are considered good actors and um, you get the callback, whoever gets that, it's it's rarely who's the best. It's more what your energy is. It comes in and it coalesces with this part because the end result is the part plus the actor equals the energy. And I, 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 that's how I feel about you. You have, I love your energy so much and you actually, you appreciate mine, which is not the easiest and not, not everyone does, but that's okay. But um, I find in this COVID world, I just booked my first job off a of self tape first time in 25 years. I have never booked a job off a of self tape because I am the type of girl that I'm good in the room. I need the room. I feed off the energy. I like to, and know, other actors, the they hate the room. You just have to make this a room. I, you know, I know because I, I sold a pitch during the pandemic and made, you know, a couple of other deals, um, but over Zoom, but it works. Over Zoom. This is like when you're in your house and my fiance is taping me. It's like, I find what you just said about energy. I feed off of that so much, you know, so the auditions are so different, but, um, but I did book a job off a self tape. So yeah. that's great. So after um, threesome, so that kind of is, was huge. I mean, I remember it, I saw it in New York city. And then what happens after that? You, so you write the craft. So I wrote the craft and. Um, and that was huge. Sorry. Yeah. I wrote the craft and, and I wasn't going to direct it, but as I was writing and I said, you know what, I think I want to direct this. And, um, and it was a hit. It was, it was like number one at the box office mm-hmm. and, um, and, and so, one you know, of the first movies with four young girls as leads. Yeah. And it was the, the studio was very reluctant to do a, a teenage movie because teenage movies were not a thing at that point. This was before Scream. It was before Buffy or anything. Little did and, they know. Yeah. And also just a horror movie that has girls in the lead. Will guys come see it? There were just so many. They were so down on this idea. What made you and, decide to direct it? What changed your mind? I, you know, I just spent time. I, it cast a spell on me. No, it, it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> shitty line I've said. That was a good pun. Okay. It's terrible. Um, I, I just spent time with those characters and I thought, oh, I could do this. And I, I didn't want to do a horror movie. That's why I said I didn't want to direct it. I didn't want to do another horror movie uh, because it's, it's, you know, weird. It's dark. It's a dark place to be. You come home covered in blood and, you know, it's, yeah. but this felt different. It didn't feel like a, a, a generic horror movie where there's just a guy killing people. It felt like it was as, it also wasn't really a horror movie in the conventional sense because it's kind of fun. It's kind of wish yeah. fulfillment. And um, there's no monster. So anyway, I did that and it did well. And um, I had this sort of golden ticket to like, what's the next movie you want to do? And I wanted to do this movie that I had developed with my friend Cheryl Longin, which was Dick, which is a, a parody of. The Watergate scandal about so how teenage girls are deep throat. It was Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams when they were babies. It's babies, and it, it's one of my favorite movies. If and if you guys haven't seen it, you need to see it. 
they're so funny in the movie. And it's like, it was just, it was really fun. And it was, it was interesting because The Craft was a very difficult movie to make. And people were kind of sniping at my heels the whole Why time. Why was it difficult? Um, well, partially it was just that the studio didn't seem to know what it was. And we kept having to kind of fight for the vibe. We were so trying to was that different vibe. also? Was that different also because Threesom was more indie and then you went to a big studio? Because I didn't know yeah, that. Sure. It was the first time I was doing a full-on studio movie, and which just means I mean, there's a lot more people, there's a lot more supervision. It's just difficult. And it was also every single week we started at 5 a.m. and then we would go to nights. So it was exhausting. It was literally super, super exhausting. And it was hard for the the, the four actresses because they, they were young and they were suddenly they were carrying the movie. They were always sort of like one and suddenly they were, so there was a lot of pressure on them. But, but when we, when we finally did a preview and it did really, really well and the studio saw it and they're like, Oh, okay. Everything changed. Everything's like, we love this movie. Right. Isn't that, isn't that, it's, that's always yeah. the way you have a million. It, oh God, it's brilliant, always, Andy. And they're like, you're brilliant. You're amazing. You could do whatever you want. But did you uh, have Dick in your mind before you wrote that or did that just stick in my mind period yes <laughs> yeah I, I knew where i was going with that one it's the joke that keeps on giving i i too have dig on my mind by the way yes um yeah i don't i wrote it no i wrote it after the craft oh i wrote it with was cheryl it something you had like churning around for a while it came out well it, unlike threesome it took years for it to kind of come together actually those those two characters the two teenage girls migrated from two other stories. We kept stories about like families, the divorce and the seventies. And it kept morphing and changing. We kept <laughs> optioning out different versions of the story. And then finally those two characters, we were trying to make a series about these two teenage girls. And it was set in the seventies. And one of the episodes was they stumble into the Watergate burglary and they become deep throat. Ha ha ha. That's so funny. And then we're like, wait, that's a whole movie. <laughs> it, it's yeah well, if you, it's you have characters sometimes and they're floating around saying things and then you have to find a story for them wow do you always have multiple film and show ideas in your head at the same time like always floating around just well, you have to you kind of have to keep a lot of balls in the air otherwise but um bump yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I will say that the pandemic, I realized, oh, you know, we're going to be shut down here. I should start reading books and look, look at things and develop things and use it as a, as a moment to, to. When you, when you're working on something though, do you focus only on that one thing or is, cause you're such a, you're such a creative, like, is your brain always going? Like it's hard, whatever I'm doing, I'm thinking of something else. That's just me. Um, if you're directing, you kind of just have to pay attention to that because it's so exhausting. You can't, you don't really have energy to go write something after work. And but Dick you know, was a big hit, huh? Dick was a big hit. No, it wasn't a hit. It, 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 it was a real flop financially, but it it was one of the better reviewed movies oh. that year. And people in the comedy world said this is bananas because it had Will Ferrell in it, and it had, a, you know, Dave Foley, and it had a. a uh, all these cool people, all these cool comedy people in it. So I suddenly had like a lot of comedy cred. And in fact, that's when Darren saw it and I had a meeting with him and that's how gross, how I got involved with gross point. He liked. That's Darren star. We're talking about Darren star. Great Darren, Darren star. star. 
So and then we had a meeting and he's like, oh, you show me the script. And I'm like, yeah, that was the first pilot I'd ever done. I'd only done four Wait, Rose Point was your first pilot too? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Look at it. I feel even more special. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break. Okay. Take a quick break. And we're going to be right back with the fabulous Andy Glenn. I want to talk for a quick sec about our newest sponsor, eBay. You guys know you can get practically anything on eBay, but did you know it's basically the original sneaker marketplace? You can find the exact shoe you're looking for. And with eBay's authenticity guarantee, you know you're getting shoes that have been meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. They verify the box, logo stitching, and tons of other inspection points. Each sneaker comes with an authenticity guarantee tag and a digital stamp of authenticity. And you sneaker sellers, you guys are protected with a verified return process. And right now they've eliminated selling fees on shoes over a hundred bucks, making it free to sell or flip your collection. And by the way, I'm a women's size nine. If you want to send me some, my birthday's coming up in two weeks. Just saying. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. All right, we're back with my friend, the Renaissance man, Andy Fleming. I also say that because I don't know if people don't know this about you. And I, I think it's so amazing that you do this fabulous, quote, fabulous for a living job. And you are the most at home on a ranch with your doggies in your cowboy boots and uh, having a nice little whiskey or a margarita. And like, it's so awesome. Talk about anti-Hollywood. No, it was a conscious decision uh, just because I'd grown up around the business and I, I, you know, was kind of thrown headlong into it when I, on my first couple of movies. And people would say, well, you should come to a party. So-and-so is going to be there. You have to talk to them about this and you should become friends with so-and-so and so-and-so. And, and um, I, I would get party anxiety and I, I would go to parties and say hello to the host and then I would go into the bathroom and sit there and then I would just quietly leave. I mean, I, I, I just couldn't, I, I'm okay now. I like parties now, but well, now there aren't any parties, but yeah. uh, I, I said, I'm, I can't live in Hollywood and do that. So I saved up my pennies and bought a, a horse ranch. And oh. that's what I would do on the weekends. I would go ride horses and I would go show and just, it's like cowboy. It's not fancy English. It's, yeah, uh, no, it's real cowboy. It's real. But it, it was a way of, it was my way of de-stressing. You can't, if you're stressed and you get on a horse, you have to let go of all of it because the horse knows if you're preoccupied or nervous. So you have to just completely let go of it. And How many horses do you have? I, I really only have one that I ride now, but it's a, it's a horse ranch. It's a facility. There's, there's 30 horses. It's amazing. It's so beautiful. I still remember that weekend. Can I get an invite on the air? Yes. Okay. Um, yes. You all heard that. You'll have to come back. Um, oh, to come back. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, so was Dick, because the craft was such a, a success box office and Dick wasn't, but I, I, I just remember it was, but maybe that's just because I liked it. But was it hard for you to go from that financial hit to a flop or was that like hard? It was really hard. It was, it was really disappointing when there was a really bad preview for Dick, but it was because the audience was half, was not really recruited properly. Uh, and the theater was half empty and it got this really, and I've always gotten really good preview numbers, um, which is these test screenings that you have to do for movies. 
And so that was awful. But then we, the, the head of the studio, this guy, Mike Medavoy, he, he was so great. He said, you know, there's nothing wrong with this movie. We just need to f- just preview it again in, a, in a better theater and get the right audience in there. And then we had it and we had a perfectly fine preview, like a good preview, like an 80 percent. Um, but that guy was super cool about it. But I could tell that this was not going to be a huge financial success. But uh, I remember when it came out, there were so many good reviews. I was like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I loved the movie. I was, I'm still shocked that I was able to make this bonkers movie and call it Dick. And because it, it exists in its own like weird little universe, but people really loved it. And, you know, I, I, I also people like kind of looked at it as like, you, you did a, a horror movie about witchcraft. And then this, and people were like, yeah. how does that hell? work? Like, how do you, do you, the hell are you? Was it hard for you or did you ever get any, um, cause I, I'm asking as an actress cause I've gotten pushback from trying to play different things. Um, you just kind of did your own thing. Do you think that's also cause you write them so you, you can do whatever the fuck yeah. you want? I can sort of create the space I'm going to. Wow. But, um, but I, I just feel like after having done a horror movie, the last thing in the world I want to do is a horror movie. And I also know that in, in the craft, there's this one scene where Feruza Box character, Nancy, kind of wishes her evil stepdad to death. And he's really, he's been sort of physically abusive and he's a horrible person and he dies. And so they're grieving. And then an insurance guy comes by and, comes by and says, you know, uh, by the way, you have $200,000. And they're like, yay, $200,000. Oh, what a sweet guy. You know, it was a, it was a comedy scene in a horror movie. And I, I really think that was my favorite scene. And I was like, well, that means I'm not a horror movie director. I should just be doing funny comedies. Stuff. So yeah. gross point again. That, so that was your first, I can't believe I didn't know that was your first pilot. So that's began your long relationship with Darren Starr and my long, because I always say to people, Darren Starr gave me the lead in three shows. Gross point, Kitchen Confidential with Bradley Cooper, who ended up, you know, his Whatever career. Whatever happened went, to him? His career went in the toilet. I don't know. I thought he had a shot. Um, yeah, and and ca- yeah, I thought he was talented. And Cashmere Mafia. And and I remember like, you know, you hear about, oh, this person's a muse and they, they work with this director all the time. And since then he hasn't hired me, which is fine. No, and I, for whatever reason. But I always say like on Cashmere Mafia, I said to him on set, I go, well, Darren, I mean, third, third, third one's the charm, right? Like, this is it. And then he's like, either that or we'll never work together again. <laughs> he made a joke. He didn't say that, but did he? We, yeah, kind of in his sweet way. I'm I'm doing it in my way. But um, he gave me, I mean, again, like so many chances. And it's just the luck of the draw that none of them took off. But Gross Point Very really- loyal. Gross Point lives on, I, I believe. Um, it really does. And it is so true about the business. If people want to watch a show that- even though it's dated, it's it's older, it still holds true. Like I watched it. I watched you. a couple of episodes recently because I, I've been working with Robin Schiff who ran the writer's room on that show. And um, it was hilarious. And it's also, the the fashions are great because it's like late 90s, early aughts. And it's so- So much it's fluorescent. Pops, yeah. It's so teen fluorescent. It's um, amazing. So after the dick and after, so after Gross Point, so then you started working in TV all the then, time. I mean, you did four episodes. Ahead, I did a lot of movies in a row after that. And everything was just like, okay, another movie, another movie, another movie, a pilot, another movie, another pilot. And then there was this point where uh, uh, I had done Hamlet too. And then I did this little movie 
barefoot with Evan Rachel Wood and Scott Speedman, and nobody saw this movie. And I kind of, um, it, it, I just hit a hit a wall. You know, it was like nothing was coming together, and uh, and I was like, it was another lull. It was like what had happened to me when I was twenty three, but it was kind of worse because. Uh, it coincided with the financial collapse of the bank. And I just feel like, do I, can I do this anymore? Like, am I relevant? It was, it was the older middle-aged version of that. And um, more complicated and a relationship, a long relationship fell apart in the middle of that. And, you know, I sold my house in LA. It was just like a real big come down. And I, I kind of, I, I remember doing an episode of this TV show. It was the only really bad experience I've had in TV. And, uh, and it was, it was really miserable time. And this one see, who producer, was it? Tell me right now. No, I, mean, I, I can't. Mm. Was, one producer was very, very nasty to me. I think because I, I, I and I just, I honestly thought of quitting. Of you quitting. Did. I called my agent and said, can I just walk off this show? And he said, well, you'll kind of end your career forever if you do. Um, so I didn't, but I thought of just, you know, selling everything and opening a landscape business or something. I don't know. Just, I really wanted to get out of it. And that's, I so relate Andy. That's exactly how, where I was at. I was like, I don't, I'm quitting. I, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not relevant. I'm, I'm, I didn't make it where I thought I'm not, the ingenue. I'm not the pretty girl anymore. Like I'm old. And uh, my mother, God bless her, was like, are you fucking out of your mind? You're not yeah. quitting. I was like, what well, else are you going to no do? Relation. What else are you going to do? Seriously, you have no college degree. You don't know anything. I mean, what are you going to do? But I, I was like, this is it. I think I've, I've reached it. And you just get that feeling, just that, 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 that feeling so many people can relate to of like, oh shit. Like, what, what, what am I going to do? Yeah, and I you it becomes so fulfilling because you 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 start sending out. It's like that thing where somebody's broken up with you. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to date with date you. You know what I mean. And if so, if you've not gotten a couple of jobs, you start to stink, and and you carry that stench yes, when yes. you come into the room. Yes. Oh my God! I was just saying that. I was telling date when we first met. I was saying that. I, because I was depressed and I was so angry and so bitter and same thing, relationship didn't work out and baby and marriage, all of it. I would walk into the room with this. That's the perfect way of putting it. The stench of, of just bitter and, and bitchy and and like, yeah, whatever, you know who I am, but you're going to make me read fine. Blah, 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 blah. blah. And I, I was self like, like, and then I I finally was like, wait a second. Like you are, you got to take a minute here and like regroup. Because they could smell it. They could smell it. Yeah. Bring your joy. I had to find um, my joy again. That's right. How did no, you and, find your joy? And again? what excites you? Well, it, it, I I really didn't know what to do. And also the movie business was changing so drastically. It used to be you kind of go get money and you put a movie together and then you'd find distribution and you'd go to Sundance and it was all. But fewer and people, fewer and fewer people were going to the movies. Right. And more people were. So I was wanting to do TV, but more TV, but it wasn't, I wasn't on anybody's list. And then just sort of out of nowhere, um, Will Gluck, who was on Gross Point, mm-hmm. called me and said, would you come direct some, an episode of the show we were starting, the Michael J. Fox show? And I was like, sure, so go to New York, I'll direct a half hour of Michael J. Fox. And it was a really lovely experience. And Michael 
it, it was like a bottle episode, which was, you know, no guest stars, no fancy locations. It was like half a day out. And everybody's saying, this is kind of a, a turd of a script. I was like, it is? I think it's all right. But anyway, I turned it in and the show hadn't started airing yet, but it, and this was episode eight or nine. What and show I, was this? Was this um... it was called the Michael J. Fox show? And oh, it was okay. only it only lasted one season, and and it was it had a great cast, um, but I don't know, people were just not ready for it. But but before it even aired, I turned my cut in, and the producer's like, "This is really good. This is why is this so good?" And I had cut it right to time, you know, so it was tight and everything worked. And then they gave it to the network or they gave it to the studios. You're like, "This is." really great. And they gave it without doing any modifications. And they gave the network, this is great. This needs to air second after the pilot. <laughs> so <laughs> like, why is this episode so perfect? And they immediately booked me for three more episodes. And um, it just became this wonderful experience where I'd never, I, which I didn't do that many episodes of Gross Point. I think I only did three. Or I think four. you did four. I think I did four, but, but NBC was suddenly enamored of me. And then there was this pilot with Kate Walsh and I just was desperate to, to do it because I thought it was really funny. And Adam McKay and Will Farrell were producing it. And I just, I just went in there and got that job and then, then got three more pilots in one year. I was, I was the guy, because <laughs> like, I've been sitting at home. And then a year later, I was the guy who had directed four pilots in the air, all of which got on the air. Talk about a second act. Hello. Yeah, crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. It was Isn't that bananas. crazy though? The, in the middle of that, I was able, I had written this script, which is very, very autobiographical about a re my relationship uh, and got Steve Coogan and Paul Rudd to agree to play these two, the two leads. And so did that movie, which was a great experience, even though nobody saw the movie. It's called I Home. It's called Ideal Home. If you've ever seen it, you should watch it. It's it's honestly, it's my favorite movie. It's the favorite thing I've ever done. Really? Okay, I'm and watching it. It's really funny. They're they're hilarious and it's very good and it's fun to watch. You'll you'll recognize me and <laughs> things in it, but it, it's it, I I always am shilling that movie because nobody saw it. Um, it didn't you, really even get properly released. Um, you did. That sounds like, again, and someone you work with and know, like that reminds me of Jason Bateman because you did an Arrested Development, right? Yes. Like his story, his story about being absolutely yeah. dead, unhirable. His wife, Paul Anka's daughter, has all the money. You know, he's just the dad. He was a kid star. And he, I mean, literally, he is now one of the most beloved. And, and, and now he's directing I mean, Ozark. Everything gajillion times. Yeah. And so, so talented. Yeah. He he uh, he was lovely on Arrested Development. Um, but that guy, Mitch Hurwitz, who created Rest Development, he, you know, he just came to me. He'd seen Dick and just said, do an episode, do your thing. He was just, and, uh, and such a great guy. Um, and I've worked with him since then, but it, you know, it's. Where in this time period did you do the in-laws with Lindsay, Lindsay Sloan? Our, our, our that was, uh, right after Dick. Yeah. I did this movie with Michael Douglas and Albert Brooks and. Yeah. Candace Bergen and um, I, actually, I don't know if I've ever, I've, I don't, I think I've told Lindsay the story, but well, she, she remembers. Um, we, it was the, la the part that she played in the, in the movie was the last thing to be cast. And a lot of cool people read for that part. And um, 
and I really wanted Michael to be a part of Michael Douglas because he was a producer to be part of the process. And, and Lindsay was in the mix and I didn't want to like say, I want Lindsay, even though the first time I read that script and I knew Albert Brooks was playing this one part, I knew that his daughter had to be Lindsay. I was like, Lindsay is the perfect person to be his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, I'm going to recuse myself from this decision. And so there were three actresses, one of whom is very famous now, one who is sort of not famous, and Lindsay. And we, I, I sat with Michael and watched the auditions, and he's like, I like that one. And I was like, okay, good. And he didn't know that she was my friend. Uh, so I, I called Lindsay, and she was fully expecting to not get the part. And I was just, she I always called is. Her, like, she always is. I know, I know. So I called her. I was like, hi, how are you? I did that thing. Like, you know, like, I hate that thing. I hate uh, that. I was like, hi. Oh, I'm so like we talked for like five minutes, and I said, well, uh, she mentioned some something a date or something. Well, you, I don't know if you're going to be able to do that because you're going to be in Toronto and Chicago making this movie. She's like, what? <laughs> oh my god, I hate that, but I love that. I remember my old managers used to do it every time, and they would do it when I didn't get the job. So, oh yeah, you know, you could tell equal park equal parts like they do oh hi you don't get the job and then oh hi you got it and you're like oh my god you know no you can tell from that was one of the best she had the best experience like the best time and she got to work with one of her comedy heroes right it was the most fun because we had it was the first time i'd ever done a movie where there was enough money for everything (laughs) there's always like we don't have enough money for that no you can't do that can't do that can't do that can't do that but this was like it was just Fun and, and you fun had like people. spy stunts and explosions and yeah. yachts and yeah, it was very sexy, built set, big sets and stunts and visual effects and yeah, it was re- it was so much fun. Um, so so, so I want to just talk about Emily in Paris. Like when Darren came to you with that, it, like it's so beautifully shot, it's stunning, and it's so you. But um, were you like? Okay, like this is gonna be like, uh, yeah, absolutely. Or were you like, well, this is gonna be a big undertaking? Or, um, I had heard that he was working on something like that, and I had actually been going to Paris a lot because I was developing something about an American chef in Paris, something that I sold, and then it didn't actually get made. So I had just been in Paris a lot and was just fallen under the spell of it, and had been having more fun going there because I used to just go there for work. Mm. for meetings and press and things like that. And it always seemed uh, like a big city, kind of oppressive. But this was fun going to restaurants, doing this research. But anyway, Darren gave it to me. And I, we just read it and I gave him my thoughts. I thought it was it was fun. Um, and I was, but he didn't, I, he didn't offer it to me. Uh, I think he was going to direct it. And I was just talking about it and he wanted me to come do episodes and then, and then it became apparent that he was sort of behind schedule on all the scripts, so he decided not to direct. And I said, "I'll I'll direct the pilot." And and then I just because I had done it on another show, Insatiable, I became the directing. It's called the directing producer. Where I'm there on set every day. And God, I would love to have you do that. Supervise other directors so that it all feels like it's one style. Right. And so you do this, and now it's. It's like crazy. I mean, Golden Globe, that's like, that's all I ever wanted to be nominated for, really. That's all I care about. I know it's kind of shocked me. Um, yeah, and it was also, we were making the show. It's, it's a very little show. It's a half hour and it's very 
light and fluffy. It's just for fun. It yeah. really is. It's a confection. It's like a little, like little slice of cake. Yeah. And it, well, I thought, oh, this is going to find us a little niche audience and this will be fine. Uh, but it was going to be in the Paramount Network and then Netflix bought it, which gave it, gave it a larger platform. But then also the pandemic happened and people, I, I just noticed, because I, I remember when we started it, there's so much darkness on TV. There's so much drama and there's so many like serial killer things and yes. and like heavy duty social things. And like, where's like the fun TV that I had when I was a kid is like bright colors, people laughing, fun stuff. Yeah, I just saw, I happened to watch one episode of the Drew Barrymore show when I was shooting last week. And uh, what I just, I mean, she's, you know, Drew, she's just the greatest. I mean, she's the cutest, <laughs> you guys. But one thing she said was, um, I just miss, like, everything has gotten so heavy. And I just wanted to do a show that was kind of like Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, old time talk show fun. And it's kind of true because yeah, everything fun. we watch is so, so, I think that's why Bridgerton is such a big hit. Yeah. Super over the top, costumes, fun, decadent. But you know. that, that's always been, I really is my, my overriding credo is fun. Is, is it going to be fun to do? And is it going to be fun to watch? Because I, you know, I'm all about dark movies and things like that. I like foreign movies and depressing things, but but lately, I just want some fun. God damn it. And also, <laughs> and I, we're dark enough in our heads. I mean, no, but I thought it, it's people will appreciate this because it's escapist and fun. And it's and it's not silly. It's not dumb. It's 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 clever. It is. But, um, did you think it was going to be so acclaimed like a hit? Did you did you know no, that? No, 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 no. It was bizarre the way it happened. First of all, the the pandemic, people are either going to say this is fluffy and I, I want to have nothing to do with it because it's, it doesn't reflect the world. But what really happened was that everybody wanted like that little trip to Paris. Like everybody wanted to, to get out of their own headspace and not see masks. And, and actually the, the response has been overwhelming. I've had people say to things like threesome, like I, I realized I was gay watching your movie or I came out to my parents after I watched your movie or people said that about the craft too. But this was something different. A lot of people contacted me after Emily in Paris and were saying things like, I mean, one friend, she, she, she's been going, I didn't know this, she'd been going through breast cancer treatments and she had to be in a hyperbaric chamber for long periods of time. And she said the only thing that made her feel better was watching Emily in Paris. And I was like, oh my God, I mean, somebody whose father had died, like this kind of got her through a week. Like I was like, be just because it's so fun, it's so escapist and it's yeah. like going to a, a, a happy place because everybody loves Paris and everybody wants to have that beautiful trip there. Yeah, yeah, and I do too. I mean, it's, yeah, it's Paris. Yeah. Isn't that the best feeling? I've had that a few times happen to me and I think, oh, nothing I've done is, I've never done my, I haven't had my Meryl Streep moment. I haven't blah, blah, blah. And then someone will come up to me and go, can I just tell you like, that meant the world to me. And I, it just, I, it's the best feeling. Yeah, know? it's because it's not why you do it. You do it because you like doing it. Yeah, but like when people say like that my song that I wrote, like one guy was suicidal and he learned to play it and people have played it at their weddings and the song that I had on Garden State and, and they've sent me covers and on YouTube, there's thousands of young girls covering my song and saying, I was so depressed, you know, I have an eating disorder and this just reminds me, I, I literally have broken down so many times in tears going, yeah, I 
like that just is everything. The first time somebody came and said something like that to me was after threesome. And I, I'm so leery of Hollywood BS, you know, people like, Oh, you're brilliant. You know, I want to work with you like that kind of stuff that so compliments seem like they want something from me. And I, I don't, I, I hold them off because they're not useful creatively. But the, I was at a party and somebody came up and said something very sincere about how he came out after seeing threesome. And I, I kind of made a joke about it and kind of like moved off to get more Chardonnay or something. And, and my friend said, like, you know, that was really, really rude. <laughs> and I realized I really have to take that and appreciate well, I think, it. I think that's also, as you said, you're, cause, cause I, I, we, I love you, but you, you don't like compliments. You do get uncomfortable. You, you, you're not really into the compliment thing. Meanwhile, me, I'm like, compliment me more every two seconds. Um, but you don't need it. And I think you get really like shy and uncomfortable. Because it is really a big deal, you know? No, no, I mean, I, it's a big deal for me to go and pay somebody a compliment. But you know what I mean? Like, I, it takes a lot of guts to walk up to somebody and tell them how good something of theirs was. But yeah, I've learned to hear it and appreciate it. You know, and I, I, just because it is rude to not take that. It's not rude. I just think I, I, I said this also to my fiance because he always blows it off. And he's like, no, no, no. He's, he's getting better. But I read this thing on this, you know, this meditation Thing I follow, I follow a million of them. But when you compliment someone, when someone really means it and you don't accept it, you're taking away their joy of being able to tell you something that means something to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's the so worst. If you want to compliment me right now, you can go ahead, shoot. Your hair is amazing. I have a good hair day. Yeah. I know. I like the color. Thank you. All right. Okay. So I'm going to ask you five questions right now. Okay. You cannot answer them, or you can, but I think you should. And then you could plead the fifth, though, if you want to, but that's boring. Because I know you have some good stories, and you've told me good stories, but you might not want to tell me on this. I have a lot of stories. Oh, I know. And I have not told them. One question. Um, <laughs> I, have to, I have to ask you this, though, because I asked Lindsay. Um, I asked Lindsay the same question when she was on the podcast. If Gross Point was reality, where... <laughs> Where would our characters be today, me and Lindsay? Courtney? Well, you'd be friends, right? I think so. Um, <laughs> I know. That's a terrible question. I uh, Not the best question, but I, but we were just wondering what we, where would we be, like, what would we be doing? Marcy would be like, you know, living in her mansion, eating cupcakes. Marcy would be nailing it. I think um, your character would be too. Uh, My character would have had a sex tape for sure right now. What was your character's name? Courtney. Courtney, that's right. Um, you know, the person they asked would be Darren. Well, I don't know if you if you saw the recent reboot of 90210. Oh, yeah. It was so it was so bizarre because it was um, they were playing themselves, like the like yeah. The, Actors were playing themselves in reality, not the characters on 90210. But it was scripted, which sounds like a crazy half hour, but it was an hour. There was, was a yeah. lot of things going on in that show. It only lasted the one season, though. All right, this is a good one for you because you have so many. I actually know a couple, but I don't know if you'll say them. Um, what was the craziest thing that ever happened on a set with, with actors? I know you have a lot. But like one that stands out, like 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 an actual... like crazy actor like what the fuck 
misbehavior? Just anything. Misbehavior. Misbehavior. I will say there's one actor, and I'm not going to say who it is. No, I did a pilot, a pilot with, it never got aired. And he's, he's famous. He's been the leads of things. And when we, we were casting him as sort of the heavy in this thing, like the, the antagonist and the head of the network says, are you sure you want to do that? And I said, yes. He was like, you'll be sorry. And he was so awful. This guy, he was so rude and so mean to the crew and mean to me. And I was like, we were warned, but. Wait, well, what was the most scandalous? Thing, what? Uh, on a set. Uh, that he did? Mm-mm. Oh. That you've had on a set on any of your sets, like scandalous, like. Um, well, for whatever reason, actresses that I work with. What? They like to embarrass me. So they, they just uh, do inappropriate sexual things yes. in my general direction to, to watch me turn bright, beat red. Which you are right now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> the, most, the most scandalous thing that happened on a set, like I think. Uh, I mean, I well, when we were doing threesome, which is basically every other scene as a sex scene, I think a couple of times something real was happening down there <laughs> underneath the sheets. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's what I was th- hoping and yeah. thinking that you would say, b- because I, because I've always been asked by people like, uh, do you ever really do something? Has a guy ever actually gotten an erection? And I'm always like, no, God, no, not with me. And then I always remember you t- <laughs> that there are sometimes where they, they were really friendly Steve and Josh and Lara on that movie. They they were really comfortable with each other. They loved hanging out. And, and when we weren't rolling, they would hang out and laugh and stuff. Um, but I, I will say that I did this show, this Netflix show called Insatiable. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a thruple scene in that that I had to direct. And, <laughs> a thruple <you> know, scene? <laughs> <laughs> a three-way. And um, so I came in and I've been on panels about sex scenes in movies and I'm in a documentary about like sex and cinema just because, because I made a movie called threesome, but I was talking about three ways and, and I come in just to relax the three actors. It was Alyssa Milano and Chris Gorham and, and Dallas Roberts and just telling them about, you know, three ways can go, three ways are exciting because they can go horribly wrong or they can just be magical. It's like sex times three. And I started talking about three ways and experiences. And I was like, I have said way too much about three (laughs) ways at this point. I really need to start talking. Tell me more. I'm taking notes. Honey, you taking notes? Yeah, we're taking notes. All right. What was the character that you created that you've loved the most? Like your favorite one of all? Oh, uh, well, it's either the two girls and Dick but I think it's probably this movie, a new movie, Ideal Home, this character, Erasmus Brumble, uh, that Steve Coogan played. He's this sort of grand, like, English fop, and he just says the most ridiculous things. Uh, yeah, he, the character of Erasmus, like, existed before the plot of the movie did. And Is I that just, one of the characters that was bouncing around in your head that you said, I have to find something for him? Yeah, it was hit. It was Paul and Erasmus about this gay couple who are kind of hitting the skids. And um, originally, they were sort of. It was going to be sort of a gay version of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And um, 
but it was, I, I mean, I was like, I don't, I don't want to copy who's a red original, but I just love the two of them because they were just these two middle-aged gay men sniping at each other and drinking and, and having fights and then laughing. <laughs> so, <laughs> It's that, it's Steve Cook and Paul Rudd doing that in a movie in, in Santa Fe. What do you think is uh, one thing that you have, like an act that you're still not, that you haven't done that you still want to do? Something that you that is in you that you want to do, right? Or direct, or is it, or is it non-entertainment involved at all? Well, I've never created a show that's gone to air. I've, I've written a, a fair number of pilots. And then I've been an executive producer on shows. So that's, that's, the, that's the next thing I want to do. That's what I'm hoping to do with this one project um, and to, to create a show from, from scratch. Uh, so, but it's. What do you like better writing or directing? They're great yin and yang because writing, you can sit there and it's quiet and you can have a, 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 a mineral water in your jammies and be working. Um, but directing is fun because you're out there and you're, um, it's chaos. It's chaos, and it's you feeding off of the energy of everybody. So it's like it's nice to go back and forth. I, I you know, after having done an entire season of a show, to go to the ranch and just do nothing, I just look at trees for yeah. a couple of days. Is so take care of yourself well in that way, though. Like, I, you, it's a good way to just decompress and get away from it all. Yeah, I, it's nice being in nature. And, and all right, you've, you've probably been asked this a million times on all the panels you've done and stuff, but like someone listening to this right now that's like in that dumpy place that we both were in, like what would, what would, what would your advice be if they were a writer or a director and they were in that place of like, I just had a flop, like, what am I doing? I can't do this. Well, first of all, just embrace it. I mean, I have come to embrace like, oh, I'm sort of down. I'm going to stay in bed. I'm going to, you know. I'm going to read a book or, or, or cook something. You know what I mean? I find that actually cooking something, just putting like chopping up an onion and putting it in a pan. Once you start doing that, you kind of change your brain chemistry and it, it gets you out of your, your head cooking. I find it very, very relaxing. Me too. Uh, I love cooking. Exercise is really important. But I mean, if you're a writer, write. It's that easy. Um, if you're not a writer, like read books, read articles, find out if that could be a movie. Just find a way to get inspired. It's, it's, it's work to be inspired. You know, you'll have to go through a bunch of shitty ideas before you get to one that goes like, wait, this is solid. This holds up. It's airtight. Yeah. I, I write down a lot of ideas and I find that two days later, I look at it and go, nah. But if, you, if, if there's one that you just keep going back to, yeah, if, if you get that, 2 a.m. factor where, oh, I got to turn the light on and write that down because that's a really good idea. Mm -hmm. um, I learned that too, like not fighting the downtime and, and forgiving myself for it. Like that if I want to stay in bed and like, you know, just be like, you're not a loser. Sometimes you need that. But then just finding any way to be creative anyway helps. Getting stuff done, just or getting up and yeah, it's 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 been such a thing through COVID because you don't really have to be anywhere except maybe a Zoom call. Um, Are you wearing pants right now on the Zoom call? No, I'm not wearing pants. pants but <laughs> I'm so glad you did this. I thank you so much. You know I love you and adore you. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but you know that. I am. <laughs> I'm very happy about your Golden Globe. I'm so happy you deserve it. Um. I'm also available to shoot in Paris at any time. 
Good to know. All right. Um, noted. Noted. All right, Andy Fleming. All right. It's Andrew, actually. Andrew. Sorry, Andrew Fleming. Where can people find you? Tell them where they can find you. Do you want more social media followers? Sure. I'm on Instagram. Andy Man F. A-N-D-Y-M-A-N. F like Fleming. And also, mm. everybody, go and look up some of these movies. Dick is one of my favorite movies. If you ha- Actually, yeah, young girls today might not have seen The Craft. Teenagers today. It was, it was before the whole teenage boom of how I, you know, what you did last summer and all that. And Gross Point is pretty awesome. Ideal Home. Please. Oh, Ideal Home. Is that the one I should watch? One person. Just go watch that movie. Okay. You'll love it. There's no and way to not love it. Obviously, Emily in Paris, everybody watch it. And I'm really proud of my friend. And I'm so lucky to know you 20 years. You really are lucky to know me. <laughs> and I can't wait to come to the ranch, baby. All right, let's do it. All right, hon. All right. Lots of love. Lots of love. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Well, that was fun. Only a couple of inappropriate jokes. Uh, You know, had to take the dick joke. Come on. I mean, it's too good. Sorry, mom and future mom-in-law listening to this. (laughs) Um, He's one of the most humble people um, I've ever known. And yeah, I just, I love that he, he doesn't do the Hollywood BS. He lives on a ranch. Um, He's one of the kindest people and uh, he's not attention seeking at all. And I love that story. See, you know, going to that place where you're just totally depressed and you hit rock bottom and you don't know what you're going to do next. And then you just find it. You just have to keep going. You have to keep going and find whatever it is you love and find your joy. And I love that he was so open about that. And also pretty incredible, like agent selling a script to 24 right out of (laughs) college. I mean, that definitely doesn't happen every day. But um, you see, you just got to keep keep that keep that in your spirit and in your heart and 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 feel the feelings. Like he said, I agree with that. If you're down, walk through it, you know, walk through the fire, feel it. But uh, that was so inspiring. I hope you enjoyed that. God, he's a great guy. Follow him. Andy Man F uh, on Instagram. He uh, has beautiful photos. He's also a great photographer. And um, yes, watch Emily in Paris. It's a very, very sweet show. And it's beautifully shot because he has amazing taste and a great eye. So that's it for this week. Coming at you with way more guests. I'm super excited. Thank you for joining me and following me. Don't forget to download and subscribe. Leave me a great review. It's my birthday soon. So do me a, give me a nice birthday present. Leave me a great review. And follow me, second underscore act podcast. Second underscore act underscore podcast. I'm going to get this right someday. On Instagram and me, Bon Somerville. Sending you all lots and lots of love. See you next time.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.